Cast. And at age 16, they decide to drop out of high school and move to L.A. together as teenagers to make it big. They arrive in L.A. in 1958 and audition and immediately get into a band called The Champs, who immediately go to number one, Ben, with what song? Do you no, remember? Help me. I love this. You'll know it in two seconds. Oh my god. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. Welcome back to Los Angeles. That was uh, that was the the Eagles with a little witchy woman. Was it Jeff Simon? Uh, one of these nights. One of these nights. Oh, my God. favorite is uh, is the long run. That's my actual favorite. Yeah. Um, tequila <laughs> sunrise. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, uh, all right. Well, welcome the back. One place where you and I disagree the most, Ben, is where the long run has uh, has merit. Really, really. Oh, you don't like that one? I really hate that one. That's because Jeff still hurries a lot and worries a lot, Tim. Not like you and me. It's totally You know, that didn't get it. So it's high time we quit it. You know, that's just. (laughs) That is excellent. Lots of uh, Eagles lyrics coming at you. So we're going to go into the torture basement. This is torture basement part two. There are 15 songs coming at you. It is not that quick stuff that I did last time. Uh, However, there are two instrumentals that you're going to have to navigate. But they have L.A. in their titles. Therefore, they count. Eight is the number? (laughs) Eight. If you get eight, you're going to win. Oh, hey, uh, one follow-up from last episode. Yes, yes. Capitol Records building, the house that Nat King Cole built. Nice. Oh, I like that. I did not know that. And, and then, then uh, and Natalie Cole lived rent free. Nice, Tim. So Sorry. good. Sorry. Really? Uh, all right, let's hit it. Are you ready? You ready, Ben? Yep. I know who this is. When will you? 
songs coming your way what are you guys uh we're gonna go through them and you alternate guesses or something i can't believe you know the first one i'm so mad Gosh, darn it all right yeah let's go so i just wanted to roll it back yeah and we'll we'll i'll stop after each one and we'll we'll make a guess that's great that's fun all right eight out of 15 we're going for uh i think we're gonna be close i don't know this is george benson L.A. Weekend by Mr. George Benson. Pause. Oh, yeah. So you don't have any, to yell pause. I just it's just slow on the. I any uh, guesses? It's I think it's like Kansas or one of those seventies. Crappy. It's a seventies crappy band, but I don't I, know which one. I will say that number two, number twelve, and number thirteen are all different bands. Yeah, Even they're though, all bands I can't identify. I don't think because they're all shitty seventies bands. But what is the what is this crappy seventies LA band? Then do your best, man. I like Kansas. That's fine. Let's stick with Kansas. All right. Uh, it is Poco. Ah. God, but that Perfect. takes away Poco for number twelve and thirteen. So you're you're. In I might shape. not have remembered Poco. Um, all right, so this next one is uh, Heim. Oh, I had that one. I had Heim. Oh, I'm sorry. I love this song. So you keep using this guy in torture basements, I believe. This is might be his third appearance, because that's Frank Black, not the Pixies, right? That's a yeah. Frank Black solo song. That is correct. And by the way, what the, is with you and Frank Black? I love it's the like, Pixies. Um, yeah, but it's not the Pixies. The number <laughs> of 
the number of uh, songs that are about Los Angeles that are about getting the heck out of Los Angeles are amazing. Didn't even yeah. didn't even include the Midnight Train to Georgia. All right, keep going. Nice. There's a band that's in LA. That sounds like a Jeff Simon special, right there. There's that's a it, though. Band. I know. I can't believe I didn't. Uh, I recognize the guy's voice. It's an '80s band, obviously. Can I listen to it one more time? Yeah. That's not cheating. There's a band that's living in LA. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, it's um, it's they might be giants. Is it they might be giants? It is they might be giants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is huge. You guys got four out of five. Oh. Um, we're off to a rock and start day. I'm torturing the torture baby. When will you save me, Los That that one's some emo band. Uh... I'm thinking like uh, crappy '90s, like Offspring. That's my closest guess. But it doesn't sound like the Offspring singer. It's not the guy who did. But I can't think of any other like punky, crappy '90s band. I think it's more recent than that. I think it's emo. So I, I'm going to oh, go. Do? Yeah. I think it's uh, because I'm. I don't think it's the Blink One Eighty Two. It's Blink One Eighty Two. Oh my gun! Dang it! You're the greatest. That is such a great. Oh, I can't even believe I can't it. believe this. Because I've got I've got four out of the next five. It's a I think I have one or a, I think I have two of the next. All right, here we go. Oh. That's Ozzy, right? Yes. Ozzy. Oh, I totally agree. Yep. <laughs> I know that one too. You got to take it. That's Billy Joel, right? It yes, is it Billy sure Joel, is. indeed. Live, live version of Los Angelinos. Very good. <laughs> you got it, Ben? I have no idea. From L.A. to flushing, I leave your girly blushing. <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> House of Pain. It is House of Pain, you bastard. Oh, my God. I can't oh my believe God, you're it. Amazing. You are amazing. Just from but flushing? Like, several <laughs> House of Pain appearances in the yes, torture basement indeed. as well. Maybe he is a weird guy from Boston. And you got this one too, Benny. No, it's not. I can... I, I, it's early chili peppers. That's the red hot chili peppers. Oh, okay. It is. And this? You got that one? Is that the Gorgos? No. No, it's missing persons. Oh, right, very nice. Walking missing in persons is correct. And that this one. I love the snowblind cocaine reference. It's so <laughs> 70s. Unbelievable. Um, I don't know. I was guessing the average white band, but I don't think that that's right. But I can't think of a 70s crap like 
It's one of those bands that would have done the Schlitz malt liquor beer commercial where it's like 17 white dudes. <laughs> ben, anything else? Now you do it, Jeff. I would right. say average white band. It's the Little River Band. Oh, well, I'm certainly in the ballpark. That's the band that did Reminiscing, right? Yeah. Oh, God. And Lonesome Loser. Is that Little River Band? Is that? Yeah. Have you heard? Yeah. All right. Keep going. Right, next. Did you like the song? That song sucks. Um, I think it's Sparks. That's who I think this did that terrible song. Or or the band that did um uh uh the song that was in Wayne's World. The ba- ballroom blitz band, whatever they're called. Uh, I don't know who that was. Um you're not gonna get this one. That that was 10 CC. Oh Jesus. <laughs> That's the band that does. I'm not in love. That's, That's correct. The song I know by them. I love that song. I didn't say uh, anything like that other song. Okay. I know. And that's some boy band crap from recent times. I have no idea. No guess. It is the Jonas <laughs> Brothers. Some of it. And the last one is Mike Posts. Theme for LA Law? It is. By the way, just murdered that Jeff Simons. Two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. All you missed was the crappy 70s fans. That's it's it. It's true. The three, that's which is usually Jeff's magic wheelhouse. I have to give Ben unbelievable credit for the blink Those are all lucky stabs. And that the will never happen. House of Pain and Jonas uh, Brothers. Like you took it. The, those three, I had. I mean, those were amazing polls, Benny B. Just phenomenal. Right. So phenomenal. Here, here's here's where I'll, I'll take solace. Um, I felt that the first one, as I was making it, was going to be too easy, and so I started thinking about the second one. But I kind of think that the the listeners got something out of the first compilation. Um, I suppose to the second one, believe yeah, me. Yeah, because only you <laughs> psychos <laughs> would know any of those songs. Right now, the listeners wow. are like, what the hell was that? Poco. I don't even remember what Poco's hit was. Um, uh, Something about love. Um, uh, Poco. I mean, I'll call it love by Poco. I don't even know right, that. Let's go. Ben, you're yawning. That means you go first. Favorite artist song album about L.A. What do you got? All right, so first, let me say this was very challenging, yeah. super hard. Um, I almost did the thing that I did in New York, where I went by the decades. Um, we've we've highlighted multiple different LA bands. I mean, Guns N' yes. Roses is a fantastic one. Van Halen is a fantastic one, um, and of course, Dr. Dre. We've done um, really, really challenging. Just an absolutely fantastic musical town. And then before I select, let me just say one more time how much I love LA and just a moment on why. Um, when I went out and spoke at UC Irvine, the really good buddy of mine is a professor there was like, you know, by some measures, UC Irvine is the most diverse university in the world. And I was like, really? And she was like, oh yeah, 
Like it's just completely off the radar, but you know, it's like a huge gigantic swath of Asian people and then a huge gigantic swath of Latino people and then a huge gigantic swath of African-Americans and then a huge gigantic swath of white people all mashed together on this campus. Um, and LA is like that. Like LA is just like poor people, rich people, white people, black people, Asian people, Latino people just jammed together, cheek the chow, making it work. Um, and the food tour, like there's like, there's a claim by people who live in Los Angeles that it's the best food city in the world. And I think that's probably a little bit aggressive, but it's really good, like super good food. And the reason why it's super good food is because it's so freaking diverse. And then when you're in LA and it's, um, even more so to me than New York, like it's this unique American city where you're like, it could work. It could work. This stupid thing could work. Like we could jam all these people from all around the world together. And, and as long as we're eating good tacos and Korean barbecue, it's going to work out. <laughs> like, like we could make it here all together. <laughs> um, absolutely love it. Uh, that the vibe to the place. Fantastic. Um, I did my own little personal food tour when I was driving around. And um, I'm not gonna here to soft sell it. I mean, since it's America, it's got its own downside. So, for example, I went to a hipster gluten-free uh, bakery, okay. and I got my box of hipster gluten-free baked goods. Oh, and then I go out to my car, and by the way, because it's LA, I rented a, a BMW. So I'm hanging out in <laughs> BMW, eating my like gluten-free cupcakes, and it's like 70 degrees and sunny. I'm just hanging out there, yeah. and this homeless woman comes up to me and she's like, "I'm gonna stab you." And I was like, I don't, I don't think you're actually going to stab me, but but I'll leave. I, I'll take that as a polite request for you to get in my BMW and drive away. And I did. <laughs> uh, so all of that being said, hard place to choose just one artist um, or just one song. But I did fixate on one song. And then the more I thought about it, the artist was perfect. All right. Okay. So, uh, Doris and Hosea Jackson. Married in Los Angeles, both uh, lower middle class working people, both work at UCLA, one at the hospital, one at the stadium, have a son, O'Shea Jackson, June 15th, 1969, a great year for the fellas on this podcast. He grows up in the Westmont area of South LA. And there's this whole like um, authenticity argument with the band that he's in and then with him personally, that's super interesting. So he's from South LA, South Central LA, and that that neighborhood is a dangerous neighborhood when he's born there in the 60s and remains a relatively dangerous neighborhood today. That being said, he's not from Compton and everybody else is in NWA is from Compton. And uh, Westmont is not a famous address like Compton. And he actually goes, uh, he gets bussed on the public school busing system to a medium fancy high school that's pretty far from where he lives. Um, and he's basically, by all accounts, including his own account, not a criminal. Like, he's just like a hardworking kid who's really into rap music um, all the way coming up into high school. He and Dre are buddies starting from when he's 16. He's one of the original people who's writing raps with Dre. Uh, their first album, their first 12-inch uh, She's a skag, <laughs> Jesus, which I cannot recommend. 
I can't recommend the backing track. I can't recommend the chorus and I cannot recommend the song. And if you are out on NWA, all you need to know is that the very first song that these two dudes do together is called She's a Skag. Uh, The first song you've heard of is Boys in the Hood. And um, if that one I actually can recommend. And again, this is that interesting authenticity piece, right? So Eazy-E, who is the rapper on that and the front man for NWA and the owner of the record label, along with um, Jerry Heller, is an actual criminal. Um, although there's like a whole bunch of disputes about whether he, I mean, he didn't do half of the stuff that he said, and it seems kind of unlikely they actually ever murdered anybody. It seems very likely that he was a professional drug dealer, especially marijuana, um, super well known for that. And he basically sunk his money into it, into the label and into NWA and created the whole thing. So ice cube comes on board. And again, he's the one who writes most of the lyrics. He writes all the Easy E lyrics. He writes half the Dr. Dre lyrics and his own lyrics. He's kind of the architect of the entire sound. Uh, the amount of money that he gets paid off of NWA is just laugh out loud hilarious. Like he makes like 32 grand total in the entire experience wow. of NWA. And uh, Super Mad leaves the band, goes off as a solo act. Uh, his third solo record, Predator, has It Was a Good Day, and that's definitely the song that I'm going to choose. Nice. Totally unique and perfect Los Angeles song. It really uh, is. The other reason to select him is he's got an amazing movie biography, too. Like, yes. He, I would put him as the most successful, maybe not in terms of money, but in terms of art, overlap between the rapping and the movies. So 1991, he's just complete scene stealer in the movie Boys in the Hood. Like uh, Lawrence Fishburne is maybe the best part of the movie, but he's easily the second best part of the movie. He's by a mile the best young person in the movie. And this is a movie that includes Cuba Gooding Jr. Um, He just absolutely murders the part of the gangster. So fantastic. Um, Then, and I didn't even realize this, he wrote this, he co-wrote the script for Friday. Did you know that, Jeff? Oh, yeah, he, uh, John Singleton's like uh, he's 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 like pitching movie ideas at John Singleton. And he's like, you should write a movie that's like a comedy about the hood. Like instead of just being a violence, just be guys hanging out on the porch, getting high and, and shooting the shit. And Singleton's like, uh, hey, you know, it's not that hard to write a movie. Just sit down and write it. Just do it. Do <laughs> right? it. Just sounds right. In that movie, um, your mileage will vary depending on how you feel about it. I freaking love it. Like it's just a peek behind the curtain at a, at a, like a, a group of people that I didn't know at all. Just absolutely hilarious. Um, and he's in Three Kings, which is like absolutely like an actual dramatic movie where yeah. he's all. Um, and then he's in three different barbershop movies, and then Twenty One Jump Street. These are really good movies. And and if you haven't seen any of the barbershop movies, I would really strongly recommend them. Like the, really? the first one, the best huh. one. All three of them are great. Yeah. And the thing that's super interesting about it is that um, like Friday, it's this African-American artist who's basically made his bones and his living by showing one very particular, angry, violent slice of African-American life. Right. Okay. This is a guy who lives in a mansion because he was an NWA and because he wrote just about this, this uh, basically the lifestyle of uh, gangsters in that area. Um. Barbershop is the opposite. He's just like this struggling dude who owns a barbershop, who's got a, a wife who he loves, who's a pain in the ass. Like, that's the whole movie. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's good. It's like this great, like, middle-class look at working people um, who are African-American, which I'm sure reminded him of his own family and his own parents and stuff. Fantastic. Um, all of that being said, my song is, it was a good day. 
absolutely love this song. When it's it first so came out, it absolutely killed me. I have sad news for you, which is I listened to the song like four times all the way through, including with Dolly and Georgia, trying to choose a one minute snippet that included all of the funniest parts of his good day. And it's not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> his day was so unbelievably good. It's such a good day. If you listen to all four and a half minutes, you can't get it all. So Jeff, I'm going to ask you to start at uh, 55 seconds and go to a minute 55, which I believe will capture him messing around and getting a triple-double. That's what I'm talking and about. And when the Lakers beat the Supersonics. But sadly, will not include the one line that I repeat to myself over and over and over from this song, which is, drunk as hell, but no throwing up, which is like, <laughs> that's my actual goal if I'm going out hard. It's like, <laughs> drunk as hell, but no throwing up. That's the, the, the target area. To stop at a red light looking in my mirror not a jacker in sight and everything is all right i got a beat from kim and she can fuck all night caught up the homies and i'm asking y'all which part are y'all playing basketball get me on the court and i'm troubled last week fucked around and got a triple double freaking niggas every way like mj i can't believe today was a good day Showers. Didn't even get no static from the cowards Cause just yesterday them booze tried to blast me Saw the police and they rolled right past me No flexing, didn't even look in a nigga's direction As I ran the intersection Went to show dog's house, they was watching you on TV raps What's the haps on the craps? Shake em up, shake em up, shake em up, shake em Roll em in a circle of niggas and watch me break em with the 7, 7-Eleven 7-Eleven, 7-Even Backdoor Little Joe. <laughs> it just murders me. So, so great. Good. The song so is so good. good. Um, uh, one, there's many reasons to despise the internet. Just one more reason to love the internet, though. There's a hilarious blog war between two different dudes who have chosen two different actual days. So here's what they did. Oh, they tried they to figure the, out the day, They yeah. picked the release date of the song, and then for the four years before it, they picked every time that the Lakers beat the Supersonics. <laughs> And they looked at the weather and they looked at whether UMT Raps was on that day and they tried to match everything up. And they're like going backwards and forwards. And like the, the second guy who came over to and the first guy was like, you chose the wrong day. And the first guy's like, how could you say that? And he's like, because Kim is actually his wife and she was eight months pregnant on that day. There's no way she beeped him to fuck all night when she was eight months pregnant. <laughs> and it gets back to Ice Cube and he's like, it, uh... It wasn't a day, fellas. Yeah, it was a, a day. Yeah. Like, I, took, I pretty much, I, I, I amalgamated a lot of days. That's, it's art. <laughs> it's not an actual day. And he was like, did you look for the day where the Goodyear blimp wrote Ice Cube's a pimp? Because that didn't happen either. <laughs> Amazing. That's so great. What year is that? Uh, 1992? Yeah, 92. Wow. Yeah, Such I remember. Song. I remember and being blown away yeah, such yeah. an advertisement for LA, right? Yeah. Like his description of it. Oh, and, and you know, and actually it's a really great um it's a great companion piece with summertime, super similar vibe. And it was the same yeah. concept for him too. He was like, you know, all I ever do is write about these angry things. I'm gonna write about my actual good days. Um and, but it had and it has the downside, you know what I mean? It's got the police stuff, this tarjacking, nobody got murdered. 
uh, but didn't have to use his AK. That's a good day, a right there. Time that you're just having a good day, uh, but just fantastic. I love that one. My, you have junk yourself not throwing up. I have 4 a.m. and I got the fat burger. Oh yeah, so I've done that too. <laughs> yeah. I think on that trip, didn't we go to Fat Burger, Jeff? You and oh, me, without question. And we went yeah. because of this tune. Well, it's oh, also in a Beastie Boys song. Yeah, no, we, we got a fly right fat burger, burger when I'm way out west. Yep. They were good. They were big. It was uh, it was an impressive amount of beef in the fat burger. <laughs> That's a great start to our uh, to our picks, Jeff Simons. Um, you, you're yeah, so we're squirrely. Ben Ben and I are going to be such perfect yin and yangs because Ben just celebrated the LA of the of the early '90s. The amazing thing about Los Angeles is it has these moments, right? Like there's the LA that's uh, pre freeways. That's all centered in downtown and around the big Hollywood studio thing. And then it starts to sprawl with the freeways and you get all these different scenes. And then the sixties happened, the seventies happened, the eighties, you already got the LA law theme song that hits that eighties, <laughs> like just consumerist. My LA, the LA that uh, I first experienced and that still sits in my chest is the LA of the 1970s. I was four years old the first time I remember being in Los Angeles, visiting my dad's parents and riding in the backseat of my grandfather's gigantic American car. It was a Toronado, which I don't think they made for very long, but it was like that's a big guy it was right like a, there. It was like a two bedroom apartment in the backseat that I was kind of rolling around in in Corinthian leather and just dark and to keep me quiet, they would just turn on AM radio and put the speakers in the back. And I would just sit in the back there on the LA freeway, watching the LA free, like LA go by, listening to AM radio. So, you know, you hear the same songs all the time, all the time. And because we're in LA, we're in the car all the time. Um, and I've talked about this before, like the first uh, the first thing I ever bought with my own money that was music was a ca single, a cassette single that you could buy for a quarter in an old cigarette machine. They were in malls in L.A. and you would like, I want that when you chunk chunk one song on one side, one song on the other. Uh, talk about a waste of plastic. But it was just when cassettes were starting to get going. Uh, and this is one of the this song from this band is one of the first three songs I ever bought with my own money. And no matter how much I thought about la i kept coming back to this song and this band because it's such an la story it's got all of the tropes of the rags to riches to to an anonymity la story this is a duo jim and dash they were both born in texas world war ii babies born in 1940 and 1942 they met in the crappy little local music scene in their tiny texas hometown and at age 16 they decided to drop out of high school and move to L.A. together as teenagers to make it big. They arrive in L.A. in 1958 and audition and immediately get into a band called The Champs, who immediately go to number one, Ben, with what song? Do you no, remember? Please help me. I love this. You'll know it in two seconds. Ah! <laughs> uh -oh. oh, my God. So... Our heroes of our story are 17 years old, and they're on every radio station in America with the awesome pseudo-instrumental Tequila by the Chess. Here it comes. 
So our boys find themselves at the center of L.A. culture very suddenly. They're, they're on the radio. They've got a hit record. But it's the 50s, right? So your career is five seconds long unless you figure out how to keep it going. But they're hustlers. One of them joins Eddie Cochran's touring band, the guy who did Summertime Blues and Come On, Everybody. The other one starts writing songs and, and writes a top 10 hit for Peggy Lee in 1961. They then start a band in 1964 with a guitar player and an unknown guitar player by the name of Glenn Campbell, who you may have heard of. Who go on go. The superstar thing. But this band breaks up because it's time to move into the other L.A. trope, which is falling for a, a mystic religion or a cult figure. Oh, and God. in the middle of the 60s, after these guys were 50s one-hit wonders and 60s hustlers, they become completely ensconced in the Baha'i faith subculture. And they basically give up music to go all in on this super mystical, quasi-cult like uh, faith thing. And they are like the peaceful uh, head side to Charlie Manson's violent tail side the rest of the 70s by 1970 though the whole peace love and everybody share everything flowers of woodstock is starting to fade uh -huh. into the post like post nixon cynical vietnam cocaine 1970s and it's time to make some more records so these two guys whose last names are seals and cross yes are you kidding no way. no way no way right go. out of the gate right out of the gate start painting a series of top five hits boom 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 immediate success and in 1973 they put out what i think is unquestionably their greatest song which sounds to me and will always sound like to me the sound of the la freeway oh. at 11 o'clock at night with the windows down and the palm trees growing and the lights going by, it is the sound for me of, of possibility, of ambition, of aspiration. It's trying to be breezy and cool, but it's also played by a bunch of studio pros who are, who are just grinding away, trying to make a living in one of the toughest towns, in one of the toughest industries in the world. And the song is, of course, Diamond Girl. Here we go. Another one like you. Pardon me. You stay down inside you. Can't you feel the whole world is turning? We are real. And we are burning. Oh, 
just picture your little face in the in the back window of a tornado. So it gets better because we got to fulfill our L.A. arc. They go through the whole cocaine 70s making light rock, light disco for people uh-huh. to bump to in the in the seedy bathrooms of ballrooms all over America. And then they're done. They have a big hit in 1978 called What You Gonna Do When She Says Goodbye. And then the world is done with Seals and Croft. And they, are, they fade almost immediately into anonymity and obscurity. They recommit themselves to the Baha'i faith through the 80s. There are a series of reunions and attempts to bring themselves back into consciousness that completely fade. They pass away, one in 2009, the other in 2017. And because no L.A. story is complete without some quality nepotism, currently touring as Seals and Croft are the children of Jim Seals and Dash Crofts who play... The uh, the tiny theaters and summer uh, summer fairs of America playing their dad's music. No. By the way, that's not a summer fair, friend. That's a county fair. I think you meant to say county fair. (laughs) I do. The most L.A. of L.A. bands and the soundtrack of my haunted L.A. childhood. Deals and Crocs is my choice for Los Angeles. Do they open for Natalie Cole on these tours? You can't, you can't <laughs> do that. Oh, so Seals of Croft, uh, Diamond Girl, Summer Breeze. We may never we pass will never away again. this way again. Oh, man, yep. what you gonna do? Get closer. Where they? Where I'm coming from? Yep. There, I. That's that's my playlist for tomorrow. All day, and ladies long. and gentlemen. Please look at the cover of the Seals and Crofts Greatest Hits record, where these guys, are, I assume, are trying to present themselves at their very best, and they're in their Baha'i robes, and they look like they have not had a shower or a haircut in the decade of the 70s. I mean, it is just like, it is such a hilarious promotional photograph. It makes me giggle every time I look at it. I cannot believe they did um, tequila. Killing me with that knowledge. Uh, Ben Barton, thoughts on seals or crofts? <laughs> First of all, I love that. That was fantastic. That's awesome. I couldn't despise that shit anymore. So bad. So bad. <laughs> I never heard that song, and I counted myself so lucky. It was amazing for me. My life. You never heard it. I never heard that song. Was so good. And now, yeah, that- man, girl. <laughs> that's precious you know, like- time I will never have back. That's one minute that will that will never have again on my deathbed. I'm going to mark that off as one one wasted minute. You, you yeah. heard them. You've heard Summer Breeze, right? I have heard Summer, Summer Breeze, Breeze. I, I, but I would not have known it. Seals and Croft. I know that there is a thing called Seals and Croft, but I could not have named one of their songs. And again, they're, not to be, they're easily confused with the '70s TV show makers, the Croft family, right? That made all those like Rumple Puss and like there were a bunch yeah, of like they made Croft the family. Yeah, yeah totally. the stack. That's right, Land of the Lost. Yeah. Not the same cross. Sad. Uh, sadly not the same cross. Yeah. Good for them. That's awesome. I love Seals and Croft, and that is a that is a, a many, many, many repeated LA story for sure. That is. That's remarkable. Um, I just looked up, I wanted to know if they were ever in Poco at some point, but they weren't. <laughs> but Jim Messina was in Poco, as yep. was Timothy B. Schmidt. So I think all there's a there's a 
six degrees of separation, but I think with LA bands, it's like a three degrees of separation. Um, great stuff. What a great story. And yeah, that's, it's, uh, it seemed like a very different story um, to Ice Cube. And yet it isn't. It's like I, I, I'm a hustler in the city where if you believe in your own mythology, you can make something happen. You just have to believe in it enough. Like, I love that about like, yes, they couldn't be more different. And yet there's a 16 year old kid in both these stories is like, I think I'm destined for something bigger. And I then think I'll I can do be this. damned if they don't make it happen. Yeah. The, the idea that Ice Cube, like in 1990, that Ice Cube is going to be a huge movie star uh, starring in family movies. Like, are we there Who's yet? Who's the comedian who says they want to get a time machine so they can take 2022 Ice Cube back to 1990 Ice Cube so 1990 Ice Cube can kick his ass? I can't remember who <laughs> made that joke. It's really funny. Uh, oh, that's good stuff. Well, um, let's wrap this puppy up. I, I've, I've talked a lot about Jenny Lewis, Rilo Kylie. I love them. I've been listening to them all week. Um, if If you haven't gotten into Jenny Lewis yet, do it, do it now. But I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the Beach Boys or at least get the Beach Boys um, on this podcast in some way. And uh, there's one song by them that they actually are legit. The first concert I ever went to, uh, I think they were different then in 1985. That that kind yeah. of the lineup of the Beach Boys in 85 was different than the lineup. Hey, that is that made... pre-Pokemo or post-Pokemo? Did, did you it's hear pre? Pokemon? It's pre. Pokemo. It's not Pokemo. Pokemo. Whatever. I got Poco <laughs> and Pokemo mixed up. That's awesome. <laughs> it's pre-Kokomo. Kokomo's 1988. Yeah. Um, but anyways, but I, I, I it was think right that... when um it was right when uh James Watt, the Secretary of the Interior, didn't think they oh, were hoisting enough. Remember that? And canceled their performance on the National Mall in favor of Wayne Newton. That is a real story from 1981. It was the July 4th celebration. Because yeah, they've done it said... like eight years in a row. And, yeah. and uh Watt was like, I'm not gonna have these degenerates play the National First of all, Mall. Thank you, Dolphins. James Watt. Thank you, someone for <laughs> you stand up against these damn hippies in 1981. I know, right? <laughs> I don't want to hear anything more about Rhonda. You know what I mean? Let's I move do, on. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of James Watt when the, that Simpsons episode where the lobbyist is like, We want to drill for oil in Teddy Roosevelt's head, and he opens up to the briefcase is funny, and the guy goes, Eddie, who? <laughs> <laughs> I believe Ronald Reagan gave James Watt a uh, a a foot trophy because he shot himself on the foot. That was Reagan's charming way of getting out of it, so he didn't have to fire James Watt. Um, but I want to play uh, a song, Jeff Simons, The Beach Boys, um, from Pet Sounds. You remarked that these these two are your favorite two songs, right? Yes, um, and, and I and I just think. Um, um when you think about growing up when you think about romance when you think about like being 16 years old and you have to like peace out uh wouldn't it be nice if we just had a place of our own uh at the age of 16 17 18 19 instead of having to say goodbye so if Here you could go. hit me with wouldn't it be nice
I'm sure I, I'd love to hear uh, the, the musical take on things and the, all the different sounds that are happening in the song, but there's something so beautiful about how he expresses impatience with the older generation and this urgency nice. to kind of get going, like, just get out of my way. Just wouldn't it be nice if we could just do our own shit. Um, and I remember feeling those feelings um, in my adolescence. And it's so funny to be on the other side of them now and look at the impatience uh, of students and or my own children who are like, all right, let's go. Let's get out of my way. <laughs> I am ready to kind of take over this world that you done messed up. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I just like, I remember learning songs with Ben and uh, Ben's eternal frustration. The song had like a sixth chord in it. You know, uh -huh. I was like, there's another chord in this freaking song. Like, and uh, that was one of his like Beatles versus Stones. Like you can learn a Stones song in the time it takes to listen to it. And the Beatles put all these stupid chords in. The Beach Boys are the ultimate that song is two minutes and 25 seconds long. And it is such an unbelievable pain in the ass to learn and play. I I, I taught the rock band, Wouldn't It Be Nice, one year. And yeah. like it took them a month because it slows down. It changes tempo and pitch. And that middle bridge is like seven new chords that never come back. It, it, that's the thing that cracks me up about the Beach Boys. It's so much effort to make a tiny little short pop song. And they were really they were really the first ones to do that. They were little micro symphonies in terms of the complexity of the music that that was just, you know, Brian Wilson following the melody in his head, you know. Oh, yeah, Jeff, right. I mean, it sounds into Sgt. Pepper thing. Yeah, well, it's like, I mean, the, the, the joke is that the Beatles make pet sounds and Paul McCartney hears it. And it's like, we have to Wait, one up the that. Beach Boys we have to do better than that. Yeah. The Beach Boys make pet sounds. And yeah. then McCartney hears it, it's like, we have to do that. Like, Sergeant Pepper is his attempt to outdo pet sounds. What's so funny about that is pet sounds was a flop. It didn't sell in its moment. Uh, the big hit off it is Sloop John B, which is like packed down at the end by the record company because they don't hear a single. And it's only in retrospect that people have gone back and been like, good God, that's a pretty amazing record. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, they were definitely doing stuff at that precise moment that no other bands are doing. And then it ends like right away. Like Brian has a nervous breakdown by 1968. They're making, I mean, they're just Brian's next attempt to up Sergeant Pepper is the unreleased smile, which has all those like little two minute songs about vegetables. And like, I mean, it's just like the sound of a guy slowly going crazy. It's, I actually find it a little bit hard to listen to. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's that that part's really depressing. And then, um, Demi, I, I had the same. I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and I that that version of the Beach Boys was my first experience with it, and I've uh -huh. never been for it. Like that's never been. Oh yeah, you couldn't go back to what Pokemon the sixties were. Just yeah. broke them. Um, dude, yeah, they... I saw them live at Bonnaroo. Uh -huh. oh. oh, amazing! And we were side stage, right behind Brian Wilson, and he was playing the piano. But uh, I'm pretty sure they didn't know the piano mic. They yeah. didn't let it sting. And they had where the piano music should have been, there was an iPad with a bouncing ball just going along with the lyrics for the poor guy. Wow. Wow. <laughs> just borderline vegetable. Like, uh, I saw Brian Wilson play at the Bridge Benefit. Oh, um, he did? Okay. Yeah. And he had the Wonderments backing him up, this kind of L.A., Band. And, you know, his face is frozen from all the drugs and terrible screen therapy they put him through. So 
So his his face never changes, and he's like, "This is a happy song. Let's all smile." And he goes, "You can't smile." Uh, <laughs> really, uh. like it was reminding me of Phil Hartman's Frankenstein impression, <laughs> singing Beach Boys music. It was really unsettling. Yeah, that's exactly. I'm sorry, I don't mean to be mean, but that's exactly what it was like. It was like watching the Phil Hartman Frankenstein cover Beach Boys songs. That guy is a. That, so he, I mean, he, I'm glad you know. What what what, what causes nervous breakdown? just wired that way no too way too much lsd and and, oh. and yeah like a, abuse from the dad and i mean it's a it's, it's a cripplingly sad story and then he gets under the thumb of this uh Svengali cult therapist named eugene landy who like locks him in his house through the 70s and just strips his will to live i mean it's a happy ending man he comes out of it he's you know and he has a whole third act where he's uh he's walking around as a human being again but i mean the damage is just so intense and the Svengali guy, my recollection of it is that he would make him write a song before he'd feed him. Oh, right. my God. Oh, it's, yeah. it's just torturous. Yeah. Paul Giamatti plays him in the outstanding movie about Brian Wilson where John Cusack plays Brian Wilson. And uh -huh. it's, it's super satisfying. He does. I'm sure it's a pitch perfect impression. Oh, no, I'm depressed. You, you got to. Someday, Jeff Simons, write your book about cults in California because the seven. Speaking of books, however, yeah, I, one I of it. us is oh, actually kind of writing a freaking book. Let's hear the update. Update. I'm Timothy at Plain. seventy-two thousand words. Um, so that's great. I Fantastic. I feel I have one last chapter. Uh, it's a chapter on plagiarism, which unfortunately hasn't uh, been in the news at all. Um, so I've got to write that particular chapter and then I'll be done with a rough draft, but big news. Thanks to you, Jeff Simons mentioning, uh, admissions confidential. I went, uh, to Rachel Tor's website. She's written seven books now. And I, I emailed her, uh, and she's like, and I, I said, you know, I, I've got some questions. I'm in the draft phase and she's like, Oh, let's talk. And we had an hour long conversation on Saturday. Uh, nice. you know, she, She's written, so she, now she's written a couple books about college, but a book about jogging, uh, a memoir. She wrote uh, a, a novel, so she's into fiction. Um, so she was super great, super helpful, and just kept poking the bear. Like, why are you writing this? Why are you writing this? Why? No. Who's your audience? Stop it with those questions. Um, yeah, so really, really great stuff from Rachel Tor. So that's awesome, thanks man. to you. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad uh, out. Yeah, check it out. Substack, Tim Plain. Woo! And uh speaking of which, I gotta go post one for tomorrow. Oh, Excellent. and then Ben Barton, I sent you a bear. Oh. I sent you an email with uh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Happy reading to you, but that's what you get when you give excellent feedback. As you once taught me, what is the reward for good work? More work, my More favorite. More work. All right, man. You guys are great. I will check you later. All right, friends. See Peace. you soon. All right, see you. Bye-bye. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's my name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid.
Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Electric Acid. 